This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, back on the Young Turks. Uh, let's go straight to our guests. Uh, joining me now, Dave Weigel from the Washington Post. Uh, he is one of the better reporters covering the campaign, so we'd like to check in with him from time to time. Dave, welcome back on the Young Turks, brother. Oh, good to be here, man. Thank you. All right, so Dave, uh, just a fun thing be, uh, to get started, and then we'll get to some serious issues. You remember when uh, uh, we had breakfast in Iowa, and you asked me who do you think is uh, in the best shape right now? Uh, who I said uh, was in good shape. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, remember, I, remember the, I remember the eggs. I'm not sure. If I remember. Uh, I, yeah. I thought it wasn't Bernie. I remember it being that you thought Bernie had a base, but it was somebody else. Yeah, it was Kamala Harris. That yeah. was it. That was it. Okay. Yeah. I said I should have guessed Kamala, but then you would say no, and I'd be kicked off the show forever. Yeah. But I remember <laughs> you worrying that you know Bern, Bern, the real progressives, the people with the records, uh, were not in the best shape, and someone else was. So you said Kamala. Yeah, well, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, it looks like uh, that might be coming to fruition. Uh, right. CNN poll out now that has her in second place. Man, that was a giant jump. Um, so actually, let's start by talking about that. So the, the first debates happen. Uh, Elizabeth Warren wins the first debate according to all polling uh, by a landslide. And then Kamala Harris wins the second debate easily as well. Um, Warren, but most of the polls won by a larger margin, but she had less competition in the first debate. Right. But what has happened since then in the polling is interesting. Kamala Harris has risen in all polls, but Elizabeth Warren has remained flat. I have a theory on that that I wanted to bounce off of you. It is that it wasn't the debates themselves, but the media coverage afterwards that so emphasized that exchange between Kamala Harris and Joe Biden on busing that gave her the lift. What do you think about that? Uh, I think that's true, and I think the Warren campaign was worried about that. They, they thought she would do well in that debate, and she did. Uh, but it was pretty clear that the media story around that debate was going to be overwhelmed by whatever happened Thursday. And it could have been a triumphant Joe Biden performance. It could have been what happened. Uh, so they knew that she was going to get pushed out of the headlines for a little while. I don't detect a lot of worry right now. I mean, they've got good operations in all the early states, and they've not been declining. They also, if you look at the the CNN poll, which has the most dramatic jump for for Kamala. Uh, Warren jumped up too, and also Warren now has the high, the highest favorable rating, you know, favorable to negative rating of any Democrat, which was unthinkable a couple months ago. Uh, but she did not go into the debate with a conflict in mind, and uh, and Kamala did. And the media covers. Uh, I'm in the media. I hate those people who say the media is not part of it. We in the media cover conflict, and Kamala Harris created one, and it dominated the weekend. So um, it's interesting because. Historically, the Democrats have been very conflict adverse. Right. Uh, the Republicans don't mind uh, brawling, especially Trump, obviously, in 2016. But the Democrats usually don't want to do it. But do you think that this, now that Kamala gets so much attention and, and a positive bump out of it, that the next debate might then involve a lot more conflict from other people? I'm not sure if it's that simple. I think what um what happened to Kamala actually didn't have a lot to do with policy, didn't have a lot to do with her record leading up to the debate, which I think was hurting her. It was as simple as 
she looked like she could take on anybody because she took on Joe Biden and he he lost the round. He kind of ran out of words and gave up his time on time. I should say early. He gave up his time and his clock ran out when everyone else was talking over it. Just the dynamics of her standing up. No one who's voting in this primary had seen her in that situation before. And a big thing I hear in Iowa, New Hampshire, and all the early states is not so much I want to make sure they're right on policy. I want to make sure uh, that they they say this about Medicare for all, not that. It is I just want to make sure they can beat Trump. So what happened over the course of that debate is that Joe Biden looked less and less like somebody you'd want going you know three rounds of ninety minutes each against Donald Trump. And Kamala Harris in that short moment did. So I do think it was. Uh, driven more by the dynamics of how she looks on TV, how she how she debates, which is important. I mean, that is part of the job in the general election. I think it had more to do with that than anything she said versus uh, versus Warren said. She also, in the debate, I think, escaped a couple of sand traps that she's been hitting since the debate was over, mostly on Medicare for all. Yeah, I actually want to talk about that because how much of is is the media responsible? For straightening the record. So there's a couple of different issues in regards to that debate. So they did something that I thought was tipping their hand on it and definitely a little obnoxious. They had shirts made right after, like before the debate, ready to go, saying, I'm that girl, right? Yeah. Uh, referring to the busing incident. Now that's okay. She planned it. You should plan things in a debate. I don't have a problem with that. But it does seem a little disingenuous when you've already got the shirts made. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but it, it, it's a genuine question. How much responsibility does, they have, does the media have to, to point that out more aggressively? Mm -hmm. I think it was pointed out pretty well on Twitter, at least, the night of the debate. I was in Miami. I know you were in Miami in the spin rooms, too. And people were reacting. The, I think the second or third reaction. Uh, when I was talking to colleagues about this, was was one of us saying, "Boy, they were sure ready with that shirt in a hurry." Um, that's somehow time how these debates work. I mean, the one of the most powerful comebacks in a debate in televised history was Ronald Reagan's very very scripted line to Walter Mondale: "I'm not going to make an issue out of my opponent's age, youth, and inexperience." Right? Totally fabricated. Everyone knew it was coming inside the campaign. And yet, I, I remember it now, <laughs> 35 years later. So I think, as a matter of, of theater, it was it was really effective. And you know, as a reporter covering this, I think that theater should not be the most important factor uh, in these debates. But uh, it it gets back to Joe, Joe Biden coming into this primary with a concept that he was the relatable, uh, friendly, elderly statesman of the elder statesman of the party, uh, your your uncle, your grandpa. And another Democrat would have trouble being as approachable, being as tough as Trump as he was. Uh, that was punctured during the debate, I think. A couple days later, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris and, and Julian Castro, to, to a smaller extent, all looked like credible people who could debate Trump. Bernie Sanders, I think, because he wasn't in a conflict, didn't get, become part of that message. And that gets what I was saying before, what you were saying before, is that the press really does – uh, focus on who was going after who. You can imagine a different debate if people decided it was in their interest to attack Kamala Harris. Sorry, to attack Bernie Sanders. A conversation would be would be totally different over the weekend, but it wasn't. Uh, Harris realized that it's for anyone to get a, a, a purchase in the debate to start climbing. They need to take Biden down. And I, I think we've been referring to the polling over the past weekend. The most dramatic movement in CNN was 
with black voters, it's 35% support Biden, 20 something support Harris. That was a movement that uh, if it happened, was going to really shake up the whole theory of how Biden wins the nomination. She did so. So that doesn't, doesn't mean she's gonna win the nomination to, in a couple months. It does mean that she exposed Biden's weakness and that really is gonna matter. Yeah, so now the shirt is a small indication. Let's go to more important issues. So she raised her hand on getting rid of private insurance yeah. uh, and uh, when Medicare for all came up. And then later uh, her team walks it back again, saying that she misunderstood. Now, there's almost no chance that she actually misunderstood because it, the question was asked the night before. And, yeah. and a person so prepared that they have shirts ready with a one-liner that they already have planned isn't going to miss that there is going to be a question or there could be a question about whether you get rid of private insurance just like they did the night before. So right. how much responsibility does the press to have to point out that Kamala Harris is being completely disingenuous on that? I think she's been pushed back on pretty strongly in all the interviews. I mean, people have known since really February when she first did that CNN town hall and got the question about Medicare for all and private insurance. Since Jake Tapper asked it, people have known follow up and follow up and follow up and see how far she's willing to go. Now, you and I both know that the Medicare for all implementation is a little more complicated than this. It, it, it looks a bit more like Australia, where Aetna, in four years after the, the bill became law, would exist, but Aetna would be providing. Uh, supplemental insurance. The idea that this destroys literally every everything in the insurance industry, not wrong. The idea that it disrupts a bunch of people's jobs, also not, not wrong. Um, but that is something that some candidates, I think, are very comfortable uh, talking about litigating, like uh, Bernie Sanders in support of it, like a John Delaney uh, on, on the other side of it. And Harris has not thus far been very good explaining her, her vision for healthcare, what it would look like a few years after she took office, who, what fight she would take on, things of that nature. So I, I, I don't think the she's gotten a pass in the interviews. I think it just hasn't lasted past the interview. You know, there's 10 minutes of a candidate talking to somebody. There's that answer. There's campaigns trying to blow it up on Twitter. She got bailed out, <laughs> frankly, by Donald Trump Jr. Because instead of talking about her answer over the weekend, Sunday shows and TV were talking about Don Jr. retweeting that she wasn't really black. You know this. Yeah, uh, who went to Howard, uh, something that was honestly not going to be a problem for her if she's if she's the nominee. How much can the media actually do when we're when the question's getting asked, the answer is insufficient, but then something else gets covered? Uh, I, I don't know. I yeah. defend the reporters who've been asking the question though, because they have revealed that she is not as comfortable as Warren, as uh, Sanders, or frankly as De Blasio in explaining what the future of healthcare would look like if they're president. No, Dave, I actually totally agree with you, and this conversation yeah. has uh, led me to think that. Look, it, unless it's on a national stage and on video, the reporters are just gonna cover it when it happens and they're gonna let it go because it's not their job to keep pressing uh, or at least perceived that way. Um, it's the job of the other candidates to press. Uh, otherwise, it's not gonna get coverage. So someone yeah. has to have the guts to say, Kamala, you keep raising your hand in public, pretending to be progressive and then turning around to reporters and donors and saying, don't worry, I'm not actually progressive. So if they did that, then it would get a ton of coverage, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, when you say candidates, that sounds like a job for Bernie Sanders or for Bill de Blasio or for Elizabeth Warren or somebody who really does believe in implementing this or maybe Mike Gravel on Twitter if he wants to go, if he wants to go there. <laughs> uh, if they went there, I think it'd be covered in that sense. The, the issue here is that, and this has been true and I'm not trying to say don't have the, the debate is silly because 
debates move opinion. <laughs> they move it in one direction or another. You can, sometimes you can't predict. But there is a debate over uh, whether you whether the health system can exist in a private market, as most Democrats believe, or whether you need single payer, whether the, the health insurance market doesn't make sense because because of the way people get their health care. And uh, if that debate is had in the Democratic primary, people are going to see different angles of this. The issue is that at the moment, and we're six months out from Iowa, most Democrats are comfortable saying, oh, well, if you want to just give me an option to buy into Medicare, you don't get rid of the, the system as exists, that's fine. Now, but that is a position that a lot of people thought Warren was going to take coming into this. They thought the Kamala was evolving in in that direction before the debate. Uh, but if pressed, I'm not sure if it's going to be a huge problem for them. Uh, I think that the candidates who, who expect, oh, if I'm a moderate, I'm running against Medicare for all, I'm going to get all the voters who don't love phasing out private insurance. I don't think that's quite it. I don't think voters, at least the ones I talk to all the time, uh, are that black and white on, on how a policy is going to be implemented. Uh, so the way that Warren phrased it was interesting that if they tell you they're not for this, that means they're not going to fight for it. The way that, that Kamala phrased it was more, a little more slippery and the way that Bernie Sanders and Bill de Blasio phrased it was, no, I'm comfortable getting rid of that entire industry. Uh, so there should be a fight about that. It just is up to the candidates to have one. I mean, they're going to have another debate in 30 days. And if they want to go a few rounds on that, it would, it would make sense to do so. Uh, yeah. A little bit hard in a 20 candidate race. They're also going to get a couple of attempts. There's a, some healthcare forums that are going to be happening in Iowa in a couple of weeks. There's people like like yeah. me and the press who are, who are going to follow up and ask these, ask these questions. And a little bit of it's theoretical, right? Because if they're president in 2021, Joe Manchin may be still a senator. Uh, the Senate majority is not 60 seats. There are only so many senators signed on to Medicare for all as it is. Maybe the bill doesn't pass. Yeah. But I yeah. think you're right that the details of the debate have not been pressed the way they could be. And that is up to the candidates. I mean, there's only so many fact checks, only so many rundowns. Uh, that you can do as a reporter with one candidate. Otherwise, people they read something else in the paper about Donald Trump sending tanks to the mall or whatever he's doing. Yeah. So, just quick comment on that because if I got into the substance, this would never end. We're already past time. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I think that uh, that it is incumbent upon the the candidates to, to press to delineate because if if you don't, I mean, you said slippery. And so if that's an issue for Kamala Harris, then they should let people know. If not, well, then you shouldn't complain that the press isn't giving it adequate attention. But now, just last thing is on Buttigieg. So Buttigieg says basically that he made a mess of South Bend. Um, I think that's the only thing he's ever done, right? Uh, so yeah. It's only one job, yeah. Yeah. Yet somehow um, it's being painted in the press as a win for Buttigieg. Mm -hmm. I had kind of had to go like this, what? And, and again, look, so you're in the press, that's why I keep asking you about it, is it incumbent upon the press? But to, to dive a little bit more in, so Jonathan Larson at TYT Investigates has now done three, four different stories exposing the massive racial issues in South Bend and the documents that show the cover-ups involved in those incidents, right? So mm -hmm. shouldn't the New York Times, etc., dive in a little bit more instead of just saying, hey, he was really likable. Go wait. Why are African Americans upset in South Bend? What is the real underlying problem there? There have been reporters on the ground. Uh, John Larson's stuff's been been really great. We have uh, uh, Wes Lowry from the Post, who has been an award-winning, Pulitzer-winning uh, writer on Black Lives Matter and police pro police abuse. 
uh, was in South Bend for a few days writing a story. I'm not sure who's there now. People are going to keep investigating that. I think where where it hits the average Democratic voter and where a lot of people have benefited without necessarily sounding great on how they answer a question is you hear a lot people who want the opposite of Donald Trump or they want a, a breather, a break from Donald Trump. Uh, and so where Elizabeth Warren has been succeeding is that she seems to have thought through all of her plans. When Bernie Sanders can, is succeeding, it's because he points out the ways that people who thought Trump was going to deliver them didn't. And where, where that answer for Buttigieg succeeded in the debate saying, I, you know, I, I, we haven't got it done yet. I think the Democratic voter who likes that says, I'm so sick of Trump pretending that everything's amazing, taking credit for everything that happens, denying that anything bad ever happened. Oh boy, wasn't it refreshing for somebody to admit blame and admit that something got screwed up. So you might look at that at home and say, but he, he just admitted his one big political job. He failed He failed at, at something enormous over seven years. Uh, but I think that is how the voters who looked at that and said, I'm, I'm satisfied, that is how they read it. And that's what I've seen a lot from people is, boy, I'm just so sick of the man in the White House and his ego. Isn't it refreshing to hear somebody uh, talking a way we can look to, up to or take responsibility? I think that is what benefited. I don't think that's terribly sustainable in a 20 candidate race for what to judge much longer, but that's how it landed last night or last week. Yep. All right, Dave Wago from the Washington Post. Uh, everybody check out uh, his stories from the campaign trail, uh, usually the most thorough uh, and, and into the details and policies. Thank you for joining us, we appreciate it. Anytime, thank you. All right. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna talk to someone who believes that climate change should be the focus of a whole debate. And they've actually got numbers on how little it was been talked about, not just in 2016, but in this cycle. It's a really interesting story. We'll come back and do that in a minute. All right, I wanna tell you about two quick things before we go to the next guest. First of all, some exciting news is gonna come out about the pledge soon. So let's keep on signing at tyt.com slash pledge. If you haven't yet signed it, it's the five progressive economic principles that progressives stand for. AOC, Ro Khanna, Jamie Raskin, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren have all signed, among others. Now there's candidates that are running that are signing unprompted. And the TYT army is giving them love for it, which I love. So keep on doing that. We got a really great announcement coming soon about that. More people signing. And then in the post game today, Brooke Thomas is gonna join me. And we got some racy stories about Miami and some behind the scenes stories as well. And so don't miss that. And of course, as for members, tyt.com slash join to become a member, support progressive independent media, plus get more extra fun content, okay? All right, now let's go on to our guest. Joining me now is Lisa Hymas. She is the director of the climate and energy program at Media Matters for America, Lisa. Welcome to the Young Turks. Thanks for having me on, great to be here. Uh, no problem. Uh, so I wanna dive into the candidates positions a little bit too on this climate change issue. Um, and we certainly wanna talk about how the press is treating this. But let's start with the debates. Uh, so in 2016, we had a significant issue because uh, climate change was almost never brought up. Yeah. Has it gotten any better this time around? Only a little bit, that's what I would say. I mean, you're right in 2016. It was terrible. Um, there were 20 presidential primary debates in the 2015 and 2016 time period. And um, only about 1.5% of the questions were about climate change. Um, and in the debates between Hillary and Trump, 
there were no questions at all about climate change. So, you know, they're starting from an abysmally low level. There's been a little bit more attention to climate change. You know, so last week we did see some questions in the debates, but um, there wasn't enough time spent on them. The questions weren't good enough. Not all candidates had a chance to weigh in. So there's still a lot more improvement needed. Well, there's two ways to look at it, right? They went from one and a half percent to six percent. So, hey, they quadrupled the number right. of questions. <laughs> uh, That's the, the generous read. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, six percent is not a very high number. Right. Uh, so, but you mentioned the press there and and how they didn't frame the questions very well. Well, that's interesting. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean some of the questions were, you know, is this going to just mean government telling people what to do and um, how are we going to pay for this? And the whole, you know, the frame on too many of the questions was you know that climate that fighting climate change is going to be might be costly or difficult or uncomfortable with no acknowledgement that not fighting climate change is going to be much more costly and uncomfortable and damaging so they kind of set the frame up wrong and and in a way you know just sort of let it's like the republican frame how are you going to pay for this well you know how are we going to how how can we afford not to pay for this? And you know how are the Republicans paying for their massive tax cuts? Who's asking them that? It's it's like the automatic go to for Democrats. How are you going to pay for that? But it's not put in the larger context. Yeah, well, you know. So then, are you frustrated with uh, some of the proponents of big action on on climate change for not uh, addressing that better? Because I got to be honest, I am right. So the press does a terrible job of framing often. They come at it on economic issues, not social issues, but on economic issues. They come at it from a completely conservative point of view. Yes. And and so, but isn't it incumbent on the candidates to say, wait, wait, wait a minute, how are we gonna pay for this current system? How are we gonna pay for all those fires in California and all the floods in Houston and Puerto Rico and Florida? All that money, ExxonMobil already took the profits home. How come they're not paying for it? So is is there still a little bit of reticence on the part of the Democrats to be more aggressive? I mean, I think you've got some candidates who are talking about that and who are laying out their plans. And frankly, it's not getting a lot of press. Um, and you know, so I think it's you know, a candidate can put out a great plan on their website and try talking about it in interviews. And sometimes the the host will change the subject if they bring it up. We see that a lot in the media coverage that we monitor here at, at Media Matters. Um, and you know, they a lot of candidates in the two nights of the debate last week, they tried to bring up climate change when other questions came up. But um, you know, they ended up bringing up climate change more than the moderators did. But that didn't, you know, they the moderators are still setting the terms of the discussions in many cases, whether that's in the debates or whether that's when they have, you know, when they're interviewing candidates on the Sunday morning political shows or on other programs. You know, yes, we do want candidates to be out there talking about this, explaining what their plans are, but if the media doesn't cover that and engage on that, a lot of people still still aren't going to hear about it. So, Lisa, you know, I want to distinguish between the different moderators here because it does make a difference. And in fact, I'll ask you a question about that because Rachel Maddow did do a good job in challenging Hickenlooper and asked the question: Can oil and gas companies be real partners in this fight? Because you know, Hickenlooper talks about working with them to address climate change. So that's a good, uh, aggressive question to ask of someone 
who thinks oil and gas companies are not the problem, but potentially part of the answer. On the other hand, Chuck Todd kind of gave a softball to both Kamala Harris and Buttigieg, especially Buttigieg in saying, how's your plan going to help farmers impacted by climate change in the Midwest? That's a total softball to right. an establishment candidate that they prefer more. So wouldn't it make sense for the Democrats to once get moderators that are all progressives? Wouldn't that be an interesting twist? I would certainly love to see that. I mean, it. You know, there are calls for a dedicated climate debate, a lot of people calling for that. And one of the hopeful or potential benefits um, to that would be having moderators who are well informed about the issues. Um, you know, even even if they're not outwardly or, you know, publicly progressive, just if they know the right questions to ask. So I think there are a bunch of um, good mainstream reporters you could get who are on this beat who would ask tough and informative questions. Um, and you know, and I also think there are good climate reporters at some progressive publications like you know, uh, Mother Jones or The Nation who would also do a great job of asking those questions. But the problem is that when you sort of get the general interest, you know, political folks, most of them aren't well informed enough to ask good questions and to call candidates out when they're sort of hedging or to push them and get the the answers that would actually tell us something new. Let Ryan Grimm at him is what I say. Exactly. <laughs> okay, um, so let's talk about that a little bit more in terms of the different candidates, because you brought that up. Um, so I don't know if you're allowed to comment uh, working for Media Matters here on the, the candidates positions. Uh, maybe we could at least start out with the press and how they're challenging candidates. Because one of my uh, gripes is there's a lot of superficiality. Uh, And what I wanna know, that's part of why we started the Progressive Economic Pledge at at the Young Turks. Where are you on these issues, right? I just, the voters have a right to know what you actually think. And so are you in favor of the Green New Deal? What do you think that means? Mm -hmm. How would you implement it? So first, let's talk about the press side of it. How good or bad a job have they done in getting these candidates to delineate exactly where they are on this issue? Yeah, well, at Media Matters, we're focused on the press and pushing them to do a better job rather than on the candidates. Um, And they have, media has done a really poor job so far. I mean, they just aren't asking good enough questions and getting the candidates. I mean, one of the things that would be useful is to help voters understand the differences between candidates' plans. Yeah, they're all gonna say climate change is important, I'll get the US back into the Paris deal. But yeah, what's your plan to deal with energy extraction on public lands? What are you gonna do about fossil fuel subsidies? What do you, do you think nuclear should be or should not be part of a climate action plan? Um, how are you gonna help you know, uh, communities of color and low income communities who tend to be the most affected by climate change? How are you gonna affect the people who work in the oil and gas and coal industry now who might be need to transition to new jobs? What are you gonna do for those folks? How are you gonna help the agriculture sector? What should we do on transportation? There are so many great specific questions and the candidates actually disagree or, or have not made their views clear on a lot of these questions. And so I'd love to see um, moderators and you know and just uh, media hosts in general when they're interviewing these candidates really dig in a lot more. Yeah, that's why some of the candidates avoid our show. 
Um, <laughs> uh, and some of them are wonderfully honest, whether we agree or disagree. Like John right. Delaney will always tell you where he stands and doesn't hesitate. Same with Andrew Yang, etc. But uh, good luck trying to pin down Pete Buttigieg on an answer. Um, I, I, he talks about his values. I have no idea what his climate change plan is. I don't know if he even has one. Partly because no, almost no one ever asks him. <laughs> right, no one asks. And then if they ask, they ask a vague question and they don't ask good follow up questions. Um, yeah. So I mean, and I, that's what we saw both nights of the debate last week. They there were no follow up questions. The questions that were asked allowed candidates to get away with some pretty vague answers that didn't really tell people anything. Um, but every candidate needs to be on the record at this point um, with how they stand on a range of issues related to climate change and energy. So you're asking for a climate change debate, if I understand that right. Uh, so let, let me challenge that a little bit because. Sure. I think it's incredibly important, but I also think the other issues are also incredibly important. So, for example, you're, I would say on the issue of campaign finance reform, they've been even less specific overall with a couple of exceptions. And my God, do they not get challenged on that at all? Are you for a bill? Right. Are you for an amendment? How do you want to get an amendment? Got not, I mean, almost no clarity at all there. So. Why is it fair to have a debate just about climate change? Well, I think um, you know there are a lot of important issues at stake in this election. Definitely, I would say there's been a lot of a big groundswell of demand from voters and activists. Um, you know, more than two hundred thousand voters have signed petitions calling for a climate debate. Um, a number of members of the DNC, uh, you know, the DNC chair Tom Perez said, no, we're not going to have one. But a lot of members of the DNC um, are calling for one and in fact have are going to be, you know, have, I believe, secured themselves the chance to vote next month on whether there will be one. Um, you know, uh, voters are consistently telling pollsters that climate change is, you know, Democratic, likely Democratic voters are consistently telling pollsters that climate change is one of their top issues. Um, I mean, basically, climate change is literally a life or death issue, not just for individuals who are in the way of extreme weather, not even just for the cities and communities that are going to be affected, that are already being affected, but for really like the entire the entirety of human civilization. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that's an exaggeration. If you listen to what reputable climate scientists are telling us right now, mm. um, you know, that said, I actually think we, I, th I think it would be really informative to have dedicated debates on other issues too. So they people could dive in on healthcare, on campaign finance reform, on immigration. I think that would be much more interesting than debates where they just kind of skip around and gloss over issues really superficially. Yeah, so Lisa, that is a really interesting point. It would be fascinating to see it unfold like that. But I have to disagree with you. I think that if we lose this planet, it's not a big deal. We just go to the second or third planet we have and we're fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> life and death seems a Jeff bit of Jeff Bezos has that figured out, right? He's yeah, got the he's got right. the ships that are going to carry us all there. Yeah, uh, at least some of us, right? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last thing, even though we're out of time, uh, so do you guys track? And I don't know the answer to this. Uh, how much uh, fossil fuel uh, money the networks take, the television networks take in the form of advertising, and how that might be influencing them. It's a good question. We don't track that specifically. I will say there was an Exxon Mobil ad that ran during one of the debates last week, mm. which was interesting to see. I mean, they, you know, they're they're 
corporations. They are, um, you know, they they do pay attention to their advertisers. I think it's sometimes hard to tell how much that affects the journalists. You know, I mean, good journalists will say they're not, that there's a firewall, that they're not affected by that. I think for us behind the scenes, it can be it can be hard to tell, but I'd, I'd love to see those networks not taking the fossil fuel uh, ads. Well, that would be a way of trusting them a little bit more. Right. Uh, that their profit motive is not in the way. Exactly. Uh, all right, uh, Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Everybody check out Media Matters, uh, giving you the numbers and, uh, and covering these issues of how the press is handling this campaign very thoroughly. Thank you for joining us, really appreciate it. Thanks a lot for having me. All right, no problem. All right, guys. Uh, a fun, different, intriguing post game coming up next. Uh, anytime you got a story about what an Uber driver told me uh, about crazy things that happen in their cars, it's gonna be a wild one. TYT.com slash join for all the members. We'll talk about that next.